there's something about the way he died and how it is just totally random right you know this incredibly rare disease that you know the moment you're diagnosed it's it's like a death sentence it's no one's fault and almost because of that again it's it ties into my desperation for control because that was entirely at the behest of of the universe and you can't do anything about it and you can't you know you just sort of shout out into the void so there's anger but it's more at it's more at just how sort of cold and dispassionate the world can be it's sort of it's a horrible reminder of a I don't know how small we are in a way that something like that can just happen just randomly and it can make such a huge impact on people's lives. Welcome back to Daddy Issues podcast with Harrod George Carey. Daddy Issues is a podcast exploring fatherlessness, but more specifically, fatherlessness in successful people. I want to prove that regardless of whatever daddy issues you think you have, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Fatherlessness affects so many of us, so it's time to start listening to each other's stories and opening up this conversation as one that needs to be recognised, heard and confronted. If you like what you hear, please do feel free to rate, review and subscribe, because not only do we love hearing all your feedback, but it gets the podcast to more ears. And the more ears, the merrier. So thank you so much. I'm going to let you get on with the episode now. And I hope you have a wonderful listen. In today's episode, I am speaking to Bertie Gilbert. Bertie is a 23-year-old director and writer based in London. He serves as a pioneer for a new wave of young filmmakers and was recently classified as one of the five new Wes Andersons by Dazed. In 2016, he was also part of the Dazed 100, a definitive list of creatives shaping youth culture. I am so excited to have Bertie on because Bertie and I actually once upon a time worked together on a wonderful mini-series called Prank Me, in which Bertie played my husband and I played his wife. So yes, it was wonderful actually when Bertie recently reached out to me about coming onto the podcast, which, considering we'd spent so much time together, just wasn't ever something obviously we'd brought up, was this share experience of a lacking or absent or dead, in this case, father. So, yeah, it was a wonderful surprise, and I'm just so excited for you to listen to this episode because Bertie is so incredibly articulate and poignant and brings such a plethora of new perspectives, which I, having done this podcast for a while, well, a year, have not actually heard yet. So an incredibly fascinating, moving, interesting, at times wonderfully humorous episode, which I think you are about to thoroughly enjoy. Speaking to your mic, Bertie. Hello there. Hello. I'm talking. I'm speaking. <laughs> That's me. Okay. We are recording. Bertie and I actually know one another, mm. but I haven't seen you in so long. I know. I actually remember bumping into you not that long ago, maybe a year or two years ago. Oh, yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember in Portobello? It was Port- was it Portobello? Yeah. Portobello. That's funny. And you were with... Uh, Jack. Was I with Jack? You were with Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, do you remember that? Yeah. And that was the last time we locked eyes. That's right, the last time we locked eyes. <laughs> and it was really dark. Yeah. So it wasn't even very good locking of eyes. No, no, it was dim. It was dim. <laughs> but but we, here we are. And here we are, X amount of years later since yeah. we did good old prank me together to speak about your dad. That's right. And <laughs> I know nothing. So this is going to be interesting for me because so often... I know a little bit because I would have spoken mm. to the guest before and we would have had a brief chat. But because we knew each other, I sort of just was like, we'll sort of go with it yeah. when we're in the room. Exactly. I think that's fair. So what I like to do, I don't know if you've listened to any of the other episodes, but anyway, things are mixing up these days. I'm getting a bit <laughs> too overconfident with oh, my yeah. podcasting. I always try and start at the beginning. Okay. Just to sort of set the scene both for yourself and the listener. Mm. So if you just want to take me back to the beginning, to your childhood... And where you grew up and your family dynamic. Yeah, okay. Um, Well, I was born... I've lived in the same area my whole life. So I've lived uh, in a West London sort of area, Labrick Grove. And I lived in the same house until I was 19. Uh, So it was quite emotional saying goodbye to that house. Um, But yeah, the dynamic was uh, my dad, who is uh, from South Africa, Mm -hmm. uh, came here in his... 20s 30s and then he met my mum uh my mum who's just uh british she's not 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 as uh, interesting in terms of her uh, background and it's uh it's me and uh my sister genevieve who is um amazing and she uh has she has a learning disability mm-hmm. so she's this uh just sort of incredible uh electrifying charismatic interesting person uh, and I've made a few sort of short documentaries about her because she's just such an interesting presence and such a positive force in in the lives of uh, the people she knows. Mm. Um, but yeah, and and it was it's tricky because my dad died when I was uh, seven, so it's sort of it's a that age is a I, I've come to the understanding that it's quite it's a difficult one because. I feel like seven is old enough to have a few memories of the person, but not old enough to truly develop a a complex sense of who they are. So it's hard to talk about my life before my dad died because it was a short time and it was a time I naturally can't remember loads. And again, losing him was such a monumental moment that that kind of just occupies a lot more space in my mind and uh yeah and it's sort of my understanding of him is is sort of inherited a lot from sort of stories and something I've had to sort of reckon with um recently is because he died of a brain tumor and uh he was sort of suffering with that for maybe a year and a half before he passed so Mm -hmm. from the age of about five or six he was ill and that's a really formative time where you, you kind of, you maybe start to remember more stuff. And so the few memories I do have of him, uh, I've come to realize are perhaps a symptom of uh, the disease that was killing him because, uh, yeah, it, you know, it's a brain disease and it can alter your personality. And so there are things I'll say to my mum, mm-hmm. I'll say, dad was like this, he did this. And she'll say that he would not do that, that that's not really who he was, but when he was ill, he sort of became someone else. So the person I do remember isn't, is it really him? I don't know. It's, it's difficult. And what 
would those things be that you described to your mum that she would say that wasn't him? Well, I always, there's a few sort of uh, vignettes that I remember. I remember being in the back of the car and he was already sort of bold at this point because he was going through chemo. And I remember mum was driving and I don't know where we were going. We were going to Legoland or something. And um, there was a guy behind us who was honking or something. And uh, my dad sat in the back with me, flipped him off. Um, what do you mean by that? Sorry. The middle, bit of a middle oh, finger. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he flipped him off. And uh, I just thought that was the funniest thing in the world. I was just absolutely losing my mind. And... Uh, <laughs> I can imagine like a really yeah, giggly yeah, six-year-old Bertie. Really giggly, really giggly. And I, and I, but I remember, I even remember then looking at mum in the front seat, seeing her in the rearview mirror, and she wasn't, she wasn't laughing at all. Right. And so this is a moment that I've sort of revisited and spoken to my mum about, and she says, yeah, you know, that's just not something he would do. He would not um, be so sort of uh, antagonistic and abrasive. And, and she said, you know, he was a lot, yeah, it, he's a, a sort of uh, not a, a more shy man than that but just more sort of it was just a bit erratic and it's just not something he would do but I remember it being one of the funny things my dad did yeah is that so interesting that for your mum it was this terrifying reminder yeah and <clears throat> also somewhat grieving already because they're changing because yeah. she's watching this person yeah transform or decline or whatever it yeah. is she's yeah she has she's explicitly said he died long before he, you know, he actually died yeah yeah oh god I've just, that was I mean so heartbreaking <laughs> yeah. but then also equally as heartbreaking for you to be told I think or to to feel that you never really have any necessarily sort of legitimate in inverted commas memories of who your father was yeah because of the fact that your memory only really started probably kicking in <laughs> around exactly. the age that he was yeah on the demise if yeah you it's a yeah it's something I'm still sort of coming to terms with because I don't know it just brings up bigger questions about sort of where does a, a person begin and end and it's sort of you know despite the fact that he was ill should those memories be entirely invalidated yeah because it's still my time with him was so short that you know every moment I do have even if it's sort of stained yeah maybe should you know it's quite precious perhaps definitely um, and having this more kind of abrasive version of your father mm. that you remember did that impact you at all in terms of you then growing up? Because from what I know of you, you're the sort of opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't imagine no. you just like putting the middle finger no. up at someone because of like them <laughs> honking at you. No. But at the same time, trying to sort of find your identity as well as grieve mm. this person who also, you know, is your father and you're his son. And it's that kind of masculinity thing of mm. like oh is that how I act like a man and so I don't know if it had any effect or impact in the way that you then developed as a teenager yeah I'm sure it did I mean I mean basically I, I've never really had uh any kind of significant uh male role model mm. in my life um the closest one would be my dad's one of my dad's best friends his cousin uh, a man called Dennis he would be the the closest thing, because he's still around and we see him fairly often and he has the South African accent and he's sort of this tether to the world that my dad came from. So he, it's always nice to see him, but no, there was never a sort of, 
uh, a consistent long-term uh, positive male role model. So, so yeah, I, was, I mean, it was me, my mum and my sister. Uh, the moment he died, it was, we became, yeah, just a real kind of tight unit, very sort of protective of one another, very, um, you know, we'd all been scarred by this this horrific loss. And I think it, 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 it did bring us closer, but also it, it, I think it fostered something in me that I, I still am trying to unpack and deal with where this sort of archaic idea of the man of the house or whatever and sort of mm-hmm. I, I even at a very young age I always felt like I had to be the the strong one I had to uh I had to take care of, of both of them um so to this day I still feel this weird sort of obligation to to both of them that goes beyond just the natural like they're my family but I don't know a, a sense that like the universe I need to make sure that 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 the universe makes it up to them for for taking this man away from them as if I'm not a part of that mm. dynamic and mm. yeah I've always we are this very tight trio but I've also always kind of set myself aside in like a different space as the as the guy yeah um which is yeah it's you know again it's sort of it's old fashioned and mm. and and it's systemic though systemic I think. yeah exactly mm. exactly yeah it, it's that's the thing I grew up with so little grasp of of what role a man could have or should have or anything like that that I sort of yeah it's all based on the most sort of surface level just yeah like you said systemic stuff that you're just exposed to I mean and even beyond that like something I was actually talking to my therapist about the other day um I love therapists yeah was (laughs) it was sort of something that sort of defines me is that I I feel I feel very much like I need to be in control just of my life and things in general. I'm I'm very like, uh, I can, yeah, I can kind of spin out a bit if I feel like there's a sort of a, some kind of, if I'm spinning a bunch of plates and one drops, you know, it's, I can be really sort of defeatist. And that comes from a place of feeling so wronged by this loss and feeling so sort of frustrated about all the sort of um, the what ifs and all the sort of memories that, yeah, I, I remember one of my friends, um, when we were like 14, he told me I've started shaving. And I thought, oh, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> and I was like, did your dad teach you? And he said, no, no, I just I just went and bought a, a razor and, and some shaving cream. And I remember being appalled because I thought, you have a dad and you could, he could teach you to shave because that's the thing that dads do. Mm-hmm. And so I have this weird sort of, I've always had this weird just like, it's just the sort of default stuff that dads do. Like I, that's the thing I miss yeah. most, like going fishing. Like I don't want to go fishing at all, but I, I'd like to with my dad or I, you know, again, he'd teach me to shave all this stuff. Yeah. That's so interesting. It's almost like the sort of checklist. Yeah, exactly. You weren't allowed. And so if someone else doesn't do that part of that checklist, even though they could, yeah. it's almost insulting. Yeah. It's offensive. And it's, it's me not really being able to comprehend an actual complex, real relationship with someone's father yeah it's so based on uh so based on stereotypes yeah yeah Yeah. yeah, it is really and and yeah I'm trying to in the last year or two I've tried to just develop more of a a a deeper understanding of of him and and sort of what our relationship maybe would have been and not sort of not fretting so much about like you said these sort of weird stereotypes that you latch on to but more 
you know, it would have been something, you know, entirely unique because it, no, it's my, me and my dad. It's, mm. it's, it's every relationship is. And how, when you say to develop a deeper understanding of mm. him, how and what do you mean by that? Yeah, well, it's talking about him more because um, I really didn't talk about him that much. <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I... Until I, quite recently. Until quite recently, yeah. It's sort of... I developed this sort of idea in my head that the loss of my dad was obviously very sad, but because I was so young, it didn't really affect me all that much because, like I said, I didn't know him. But again, something I've realized is that actually that loss is is sort of the foundation of a lot of a lot of sort of issues I carry with me. Um, and sort of accepting that his absence is actually a really huge thing uh, mm. in my life. And it's ridiculous to to say that I didn't really consider it to be a big deal, but I sort of didn't. I kind of, I think I did sort of close myself off from it a little bit. I remember my sister, and I feel so guilty about this, she, at any mention, every mention of his name, she would uh, cry. And I remember just for a long time, every time that would happen, I wouldn't shout at her, but I would, I'd really say, all right, come on now. And I just, that really, I, I like to think of myself as a very emotionally open person. And the thought that that specific subject I saw as yeah something to to push down is mm. uh, is a shame, but but but, you know. but that's I think I wouldn't sort of not that you necessarily are, but I wouldn't beat yourself up about that because that's the process that you were undergoing, and everyone within a family I know this as well. You know, we all have different, we all grieve differently, we all cope differently, we all manage differently. Even if like you, you've been in a tight unit of a family, like. Surely that means that you have similarities, but actually a lot of the time, I think it, you know, and especially within siblings, when you, when the, when the care and the love is so deep and you've experienced that same thing, seeing them upset is also incredibly triggering for you. And it brings up a lot more than I think, you know, seeing someone else upset, for instance. Yeah. And, and it, it's a testament to my sister again, as someone, um, with the learning disability, there are, there are many things that she, you know, she struggles to do. And in many ways, one would potentially, you would presume that she's, um, you know, she wouldn't be more better equipped to deal with certain things. But actually she, in terms of her emotional honesty and her, um, she is so tapped into her feelings in a way that I envy. Mm. Um, and so, She's sort of free in them. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. She wears her heart on her sleeve in a way that so few people do. And um, yeah, the fact that, yeah, I used to sort of reject that when actually it's something I really value those being around her and sort of feeding off that I, I really value because I think, yeah, she, she sort of allow, she allows herself to just sort of sit in her sadness for a moment. And then because of that, it doesn't, because um, I think with me, it's, yeah, it, it became this sort of, this thing that was just sort of pushed down and, and made me quite numb. And it's always, every time I do talk about him, it's such a release. And so, yeah, I'm trying to, to latch on to um, the value in just, just sort of continuing to talk about him and process him. And, and, and like I said, yeah, talking to mum a lot more and mm. about who he was and hearing stories. And um, yeah, it's sort of, and maybe even 
finding him, as we were saying earlier, within yourself and how you yeah. are. And that kind of just nature versus nurture yeah. situation where, um, you know, there's probably a lot more about him is part of you, yeah. is within you. It's, and it's, a sure, it's sort of quite reassuring. Um, like you said, like I am... I definitely don't resemble the erratic version of him. It's I am closer <laughs> to who he actually was, which is sort of reassuring this idea that even though there are so many things I, I wish I could have asked him and so many things I don't know about him, I, as his son, there are inherent similarities between us. I remember we, me and my mum visited one of his friends a few years back. And after we left... Um, Keith, his name was, he messaged my mum or he called her and he said, you know, the way Bertie just sort of folded his arms and the way Bertie just sort of stood was so like him. It was really spooky. Mm. And that, that's simultaneously a comfort, but also um, it's a weird one. It's sort of, I don't really know what to do with that information. Yeah. It's a reminder of, you don't know this person who apparently you're emulating. I, yeah. It's, mm. it's, it is sort of a weird, like, yeah, you're simultaneously happy that this person is sort of being kept alive through you, but also you're feeling sort of denied of your own identity in a way and robbed of that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I totally get that. And would you feel almost jealousy over the fact that they know my dad more than I know my dad? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Or bitterness or anger or something. Or yeah. maybe just hurt, I guess. There is an anger. It, it, yeah, it's an anger. There's something about... the 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 way he died and how it it is just totally random right you know this incredibly rare disease this incredibly vicious disease um that you know the moment you're diagnosed it's it's like a death sentence it's no one's fault mm. and almost because of that again it's it ties into my desperation for control because that was such a uh, the, that was entirely at the behest of, of the universe and, and you can't do anything about it and you can't, you know, you just sort of shout out into the void. Um, mm. So, so yeah, I, I, I definitely, um, there's anger, but it, it's more at, it's more at just how sort of cold and dispassionate the world can be and, and, and it's sort of, a, it's a horrible uh, reminder of a, I don't know how small we are in a yeah. way that something like that can just happen just randomly and it can mm. make such a huge impact on, on, on people's lives. Um, and do you think also, there are so many things I want to touch on. I'm trying to let in my head, make sure I remember. Yeah, no, I've given you a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, don't apologize. It's amazing. But one of them that I think is relevant to what you just said, which is the fact that this kind of sudden, death and something completely out of your control or anybody's control occurred to your dad and going back to talking about control mm. do you think that that then manifested into you being very controlling with definitely. yourself etc oh definitely yeah I'm constantly trying to correct that somehow in, in any small or big way uh, I yeah I possibly can and and correct well just sort of it sort of yeah, it, it, it's 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 sort of combating the random nature of that and seizing control in my life in any way I can, mm. including the health side. Like I, a couple of years back, had um, 
I don't know, not a breakdown, but I, I, I was in a really bad way because I was experiencing a great deal of uh, what they call health anxiety, which mm-hmm. was... Interesting. I was obsessing, um, truly, deeply obsessing uh, about every sort of sensation in my body and fretting about uh, having some kind of illness and often worrying I had uh, a brain tumour. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'd go, to, I'd go to my GP multiple times a month and they'd always say, no, no, you're fine. And like I did um, CBT and that, that helped a lot. But it was, it was a real sort of, I'd have to run away to the bathroom the moment I got an idea and sort of talk myself off that ledge wow. and reassure myself that I'm not dying. In the mirror, sort of to yourself. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And it would, um, but the brain tumor thing would always come back. And I remember mm. this weird, like dehumanizing thing with my dad, but I would ask my mum in a really robotic way, you know, what were his symptoms? Like, what were his symptoms? And she'd describe them to me and I'd feel relieved when I'd think, oh, good, I haven't got, oh, good, all right, I haven't got that. He was, yeah. limp, he was limping. Okay, good, I'm not limping, so that's fine. And it's sort of, <laughs> yeah. remember who you're talking about here, yeah. you know? And I, it's, yeah, it's a weird sort of, that's, I'm so aware of how horrible that was. Yeah, the, the idea of it befalling me. And again, feeling so connected to him in a way that I feel like, yeah. you know. I was going to say, do you think that was on some level of trying to have some form of connection with him. a little bit yeah. yeah yeah well it is sort of it's resigning yourself to this idea that as my dad I must be quite similar to him mm. and therefore our similarities might go as, as far as to me just dying of the same thing as him and going through the exact same process and um yeah it's sort of the whole thing about control yeah it's me trying to kind of uh make up for that somehow and I I've always wanted I've always wanted kids it's always been like Mm. a big thing I want and I always you know think about having a son and something I realized recently was was so much of why I want that is this idea of of getting a second chance at that kind of relationship regardless of what side of the relationship I'm on regardless of whether I'm the son or the father the idea of there's a part of me that thinks the moment I have like a son and I'm doing things with my son it is sort of like you know, finally I've, I've, it's like I'm owed that, you know, it's mm. a weird sort of, uh, yeah. Do you fantasize in a way or do mm. you sort of visualize how you'll be as a father and what does that look yeah. like? Yeah. The idea of just, um, just being there for, for my, for my son or for any child I had. Um, yeah, I think that's the thing. My dad, you know, he didn't walk out on us or anything like that. He didn't, mm. he wasn't neglectful in any way, but he uh. is gone and he, you know, hasn't been here for a long time. So I think more so than than specific moments or like activities, it's just, it really is just the idea of of being there for a, for a child beyond how long. And, and it's, I know when I have kids that the moment they get older than seven the moment that period elapses I know I'll be aware of it I'll know I'll think Mm. like you know like not that I've beaten my dad but but like I'm aware that like I've passed through that kind of threshold that was so dominating such a big part of my existence yeah and what both you and your dad missed out on I think yeah absolutely yeah and going back to when your dad did die Mm -hmm. um how did you all grieve? Yeah. Um, 
so I remember, it's so funny, people often say when you're a kid, you sort of remember all the wrong things, like sort of the memories you sort of latch onto seem kind of random and unimportant, but sort of quite the contrary, quite the contrary <laughs> for me, because uh, I remember, I remember him dying. I remember I was there, I saw him, because we for the last few weeks of his life, um, we had him in a hospital bed in the living room. Mm-hmm. And we all slept on sleeping bags uh, on the floor around him. And wow. um, Oh, that's so moving. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give a recuse. And I remember, uh, I remember the day it happened. It was a school day. I was in my uniform. And um, he had these nurses around. And yeah, I just remember... And it's really horrible that I remember this, but I remember him just eyes rolling back, mm. frothing at the mouth. And I think I'd watched enough movies to sort of know what that meant. <laughs> Um, and so we missed that day of school. Uh, but it, here's the interesting thing. So I think every parent has a different sort of strategy with this stuff, right? And I've really, the strength my mum sort of uh, uh, exhibited uh, through all of this has always been a huge inspiration to me. Because um, I think some parents would say, right, you know, you're going to take a month off school. You're going to take a few weeks. I think we only took a day off. And she was really... Um, she was really determined to get us back to school mm. to sort of just to get us back to normality. Uh, you know, not, not in an attempt to sort of move on from what's happened, but, but um, yeah, I think, I think it did us good mm. because it meant I couldn't. And I think she needed some time alone, honestly, as well. I think yeah. actually it's totally reasonable for her to want us to go to school so she could just experience this grief um but how did we grieve um it's hard to say I mean so that was another thing my therapist asked me the other day that kind of uh kind of shook me up a bit she said she said have you grieved him and I kind of I really I didn't have an answer Mm because again not that that we had plenty we've always had plenty of conversations about him and I did a few sort of uh um group sort of sessions with other um bereaved uh children when I was younger mm. but um was that with Winston's wish I don't know I can't remember yeah. I just remember being in a circle yeah. and uh, talking about it a little bit but um I don't know I think we're still you know we're still grieving him a bit and I think my mum especially she um because she she one of her best friends was her father uh who passed away in 2000 so a few years before my dad Mm -hmm. really you know her and her dad just were thick as thieves one of the most sort of important men in her life and then she lost another incredibly important man in her life just a few years later and that's something recently she's sort of been kind of working through is uh those simultaneous losses and how Mm. there's that thing of of if they were here if one of them was here or both of them were here some of the things I worry about or some of the issues I experience, they would just reassure me like that. Um, so, so I think, yeah, we're all sort of still working through it, but, but my sister, um, again, I think she's sort of almost dealt with it the best because she still, she will still let herself kind of cry over him. Mm-hmm. And that's something I struggle to just cry over him because I think I'm a weird sort of, yeah, I'm kind of an overthinker. If I were to start sort of crying over him, I'm not, I'd sort of think, what am I crying about? I'm not crying about 
this man I knew really well and how I, I miss him. Am I crying about the absence and the whole left by not having a dad as, as an idea? Or, or am I crying about how much it's affected those around me? Or am I crying about everything? Mm. Um, so I think I'm still, we're still kind of working through it 15 years later. Yeah. yeah. But it's that, that's the thing about grief. And that's the, even your therapist saying like, have you grieved him? Like mm. I sort of thought in my head, I was like, have I grieved my dad? And then, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I have faced a time which was really quite intense for me in my early 20s. Mm. And now I'm in my late 20s. But it really caught up with me probably around the same mm. amount of time later. Yeah. Um, and I had to face it. I had no choice. Yeah. Um, it was following me around like some sort of dark, heavy shadow. And I think, so to answer what like that came into my head mm. would be, I grieved that moment yeah, and I faced that moment, but I don't know if you ever fully grieve someone because there are different moments in your life where, for example, becoming a father and maybe your child getting to an age past where mm. you had your father. And I've thought the same for different things within my life and, you know, maybe getting married and doing all mm. things, having your first child, etc. all these life moments. Yeah. And I think that, that those will bring in little moments of new experiences of yeah. grief that you're yet to have. Yeah, I think there will exactly. I think there will be these weird milestone moments where mm, that's the word it's, I was looking for. Yeah, where it's sort of <laughs> it's brought back to the surface again. When my child turns eight years old, or when my dad was fifty-four when he died. So if mm. I get to fifty-five, you know, it's moments like that where. <sighs> And you hate to sort of carbon date a person like that. And and that's something I want to kind of get past these sort of horrible arbitrary dates and, and, and this sort of data and, you know, more get to the, the root of, of who this man was. And, and also sort of, you forget, it's so hard to, and I, I don't know if you can relate to this, but it's really hard to get a grasp of how much life they led before, not only before they died, but before you were born. Mm. And every now and then I'm just reminded of, he was 54 when he died. So he had this whole life in South Africa and then, you know, a good sort of 15 years with my mum before they had kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really want to get and un- understand that and sort of, I-, I feel like I do him a disservice by defining him by by that that loss, by that sort of horrible last yes. year or two of his life when there was so much before that. That was wonderful. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. so true. That He lived so much life. He did. Before this loss. He did. Yeah. And he was quite old as well. Like he was quite an old dad. He mm. would be 70 now, mm. which is, is very sort of odd to me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because like that's was, what you think of like. An old man. An old man. Yeah. yeah. He'd be like a grandpa. If any 70 year olds are listening to this. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Take that back. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is, a, do you, um, do you sometimes even now sort of struggle to to believe that they're gone weirdly like even though it's a big defining moment in my life every now and then I will sort of catch myself and I'll think like I'll still be so sort of I can't believe I don't have a dad like it's yeah yeah oh gosh yeah Mm -hmm. it's so weird that you even sort of articulated that because it's a thought or a feeling that I have that I've never yeah said out loud yeah yeah you do just sort of and 
I can't believe that. I and, can't believe that happened. Yeah. And the sort of fragmented memories, because like you, I was seven. Yeah. And the fragmented me- memories that you do hold, that who knows how embellished you make them, et cetera, et cetera, because you're so young. Mm-hmm. Um, those to me, I, I sort of, I view it as like a different lifetime. Like it, it's yeah. not the life and the person that I am now, it's like a different lifetime. Helps by the fact that we also lived in Hong Kong, which we then oh, interesting. moved because of this car accident that we had. Yeah. So that also just put the whole, that whole life. It all lives there. It all yeah. lives there. And um, yeah, it's weird. Like even last night, I don't know, people were talking about, um, you know, meeting like a boyfriend meeting the father of their girlfriend because mm. that situation had happened between two friends of mine yeah. who were just, he was saying how it was quite scary anyway. And someone asked me about it and I don't know. I, they were, and they were talking as if it's so normal like this. I don't, oh, I oh no, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. It's totally my, um, I've, spent, I love that you knew what I mean before I could, no, I, like, do. I couldn't even, it's, it's yeah. Like I've spent, I spent a good amount of time with my girlfriend's dad and just seeing just seeing them, him just walk around being someone's dad mm. is very novel to me. Yeah. You know? And it's it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, like you said, when you hear them sort of talk about it, so sort of matter of fact. Yeah. For me, it's just like, it's like that is, it's, sort of, it's simultaneously mm. the most alien thing in the world, but also there's something that inside you really longs for that because you, it, you know you sh- that should you should have that completely and it actually fits that thing of what you were saying before it's it's a sort of stereotype tick the box moment that yeah you know fathers supposedly represent for their children because they're the patriarch of the family yeah you know if we're going on stereotypes mm-hmm. and and um yeah I was sitting there quite silently and someone sort of asked me and not because I <laughs> you know it's not that it was just because I didn't feel like I could relate to yeah you know the only parent that my you know, other half has to meet mm. is my mum. Yeah. And so I don't know that anxiety that yeah. meeting the dad is, I don't understand that anxiety because I'm also not a man. So I also, I don't yeah. understand it on either way, if that makes sense. But I know it exists because it's a stereotype of life. It's so many, yeah, it's so just thinking, yeah, when my mum met my girlfriend's parents, what would that have been like if my dad was also there? Mm. How would he have got on with them? Um, yeah, it's just, and also to my knowledge, my dad was quite a funny man. Um, so it's sort of, yeah, kind of feeling robbed of, of, it's weird. If I, if he, if I knew him as a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a closed off kind of quiet, um, unemotional, distant father, then, you know, arguably I probably wouldn't long for that as much, but Mm. to my knowledge, he was, a you know, he's just a good, a good bloke. And and that, you know, makes it worse. Mm. Um, Not that he would have deserved to die if he wasn't, if he wasn't like that. But yeah. (laughs) I'd love to go back to you talking about role models. Mm. So with the lack of male role models that you mentioned having growing up Mm. or not having growing up, where did you find your role models? I, I mean, the thing is, it's sort of, it is sort of, backwards and arbitrary to kind of you know think there's any kind of distinction between you know I need a specifically male role model or I need a specifically female role model Mm -hmm. or anything like that you know I think anyone can find a role model in anyone else Mm -hmm. um 
I think definitely my, I mean, my mum, I think has definitely always been a huge uh, role model to me. Um, you know, even though she can, she can be a nightmare sometimes. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, she, again, the, the strength she exhibited through all of this, um, just the, I think just the mere fact that, that she could have, I mean, you know, she lost her father, she lost her husband, she then had breast cancer Mm. Um, and, you know, luckily, uh, survived that. Um, wow. That must've been terrifying for her yeah, and, and, to leave you and oh, your sister. I know. She yeah. couldn't, yeah. My first day at secondary school, she couldn't, um, accompany me, which is sort oh, of difficult. Yeah. Um, but the fact that she can go through all of that and, uh, you know, not, not that she's not affected by it, but she really, she has this unique ability to just, to just press on. And I think that's something that, that I've always tried to pick up I think uh yeah kind of you know getting getting back up and sort of dusting yourself off um what other role models I mean my sister as well um and but then you know tv and like movies there's all sorts of role models and Mm. and things like that do you have anyone who sort of (laughs) I can't think do you have anyone who sort of shoots out for you as in like a fictional role model yeah yeah um (laughs) I loved uh, Doctor Who growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, so David Tennant was oh, shout out was a was a, a hero of mine. Um, obsessed. I this is a sort of stupid bit of trivia, but I because um, I did a bit of child acting when I was younger, and I I was cast uh, in a role in a, in a Christmas special of Doctor Who, and mm-hmm. I did the read through, and I was so excited because it was a scene with David Tennant as the Doctor. Stop. Which was just so you know thrilling, um, but then uh, it fell through because my council and all this stupid stuff. So I didn't get to do it. Because your council, yeah, because child actors, every child, uh, they it has to go through a different council, and different councils are slower with like processing, uh, kind of agreeing to that and like letting the child work. So that fell through. But then a few months later, I was on. Uh, the Friday Night Project as a Doctor Who know-it-all against David Tennant. And, oh and so I got to meet him again and uh, he, he picked me up and he threw me over his shoulder. And, Did he? You know, this isn't someone I knew well oh. at all. But even that, like, this grown man picking me up as a small boy and yeah. sort of, uh, you know, mucking about with me. And the fact that I associated him so much with this sort of hero yeah. uh, who had all these sort of toys of and everything like that. So... So that's definitely a, I mean, I feel like everyone has that kind of fictional yeah. heroic sort of role model. And, and yeah, I guess that's the, amazing the as well. That. Amazing that you met your hero and he actually lived up to it. Cause he so was lovely. Often, yeah. that does not happen. Apparently he was lovely. I saw him on the street a few months back. And oh I my thought, God. Do you and David have a real bond? No, no, no. But I didn't say anything. I thought, should uh, I say something? I was like, no, I'm not going to say it. Oh, like, hello. Have... 10 years ago, you, we, <laughs> you, I was on a show was like, right. I'm... So how old were you when that would have happened? So it was called Are You Smarter Than a Tenant-Year-Old? So I, was, I would have been 10, I would imagine. <laughs> and do you remember being like, oh, this is what it feels like to be picked up by yeah, a but, man? Yeah, I yeah, think I did. Or a dad? I remember smelling his aftershave and that being quite a... Yeah, I don't know. There was just sort of br- yeah. male-branded aftershaves just sort of smell a certain way and I, I hadn't mm. had a chance to have a good sniff of that. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of other role models, um, maybe like real people who I still didn't know. I don't know. Gr- yeah, growing up, it was, it was a lot of sort of fic- fantastical kind of role models. I think mm-hmm. as I as I get older, I don't know. There's certain I don't know. There's certain politicians or, or you know Bernie Sanders or something who's someone I look up to a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, in terms of role models, it was 
it was a close knit few. Mm. Um, yeah. And speaking of your work mm. and everything that you've achieved at such a young age, you're sort of still quite depressingly young, aren't you? <laughs> I'm 23, yeah. Oh, I actually hate <laughs> I remember because you played my husband, didn't you? I did, yeah. And I remember being like, I must have been maybe 26. Sure. And I think you were, because it was three years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, so it would have been 20. So you, and I remember learning you were 20. I was like, get out. <laughs> Leave. I was a cougar wife. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. But it's so impressive. But I wanted to ask you about, because this podcast also mm. explores how potentially your sort of absent father or your grief or whatever mm. situation you've had may or may not have contributed to mm. your drive and focus yeah. and obviously we've already touched on your control and I think mm. that plays a part in it definitely but also you're you're very creative and you really took initiative at a young age to put put your work out there mm. so I'd love to sort of just explore that a yeah. bit. oh yeah I mean almost you know subliminally like on, a, on some kind of unco- unconscious level um yeah like a lot of the stuff I've made a lot of the short films and things like that often the theme of of death and sort of uh coping with with death Mm. and grieving uh always comes up and it's something I don't mean to do but there's there was it's definitely through a lot of the stuff I've made and a lot of my work that's helped me realize how much uh how much this really has affected me because there's almost this sort of part of me calling out through my work to say you need to sort this out because you keep Mm. you keep raising these questions in in your work you know there must be a reason for that um that's interesting yeah and I even over during lockdown I wrote um I wrote a script um a feature script because I just thought I thought well lockdown I should probably I hope I I should come out of this with with some something something I've done but I wrote a script and it was literally sort of entirely about my dad um mm. like yeah completely about uh yeah this i basically yeah this idea we've talked about it's sort of you know what makes up a person and, and to what extent i truly knew him and this and that and it was it was very therapeutic um it and it was sort of about this this idea of of accepting that you'll never you know you'll never get a full understanding of the person because they're gone um but you can you can try and you can you can you know sit comfortably knowing that they were you know a full complex person who had this entire life without you um so I wrote yeah so I wrote and it was yeah it was a very it was a very cathartic um experience I was gonna say it must be incredibly cathartic yeah yeah no it was it was it was and I'll do I'll do a couple more drafts but it was I just felt like a lot of my work has been sort of hinting at this idea and I thought I thought maybe it's time to sort of be a bit more explicit and you know the character the characters in it aren't called they don't share the same names but mm-hmm. you know more so than ever it's it's a lot more autobiographical and I found uh it all just sort of flowed out of me a lot more naturally than it than it normally would I love how also thinking back to you saying at the moment you're trying to find your dad a bit more yeah yeah and that really being a huge yeah process of that being exactly you writing that script is basically exactly that oh it absolutely was yeah I mean the script the the broad premise was it was 
a family dynamic identical to me, my mum and my sister at, at this exact point, um, sort of a mother on the cusp of, of kind of living a more independent life now that her kids are older uh, and sort of me kind of, you know, being at this intersection in my life where I'm sort of being an adult now or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> I love that. But what do you know? Whatever. Yeah, no, and it, but, yeah, the, but it's, yeah, it's that sort of those three. And then this dad figure kind of, he sort of rises from the dead and returns to their life without explanation, but he's not, he's not dad. He's, he's, he's very much the sort of stereotype construct of a father that I've sort of imagined. Mm. He doesn't carry all the complexities of the real man. He's sort of this, he just sort of spouts out these sort of generic dad kind of lines and things that you'd imagine. And um, yeah, I thought it was, yeah, it's just a very sort of on the nose way of a, of addressing like this is who I've latched onto. This isn't even a real person. This is an idea. Let's do away with that and and try and get to the heart of of the real man. That is fascinating. Mm. That kind of like encompasses so much of what mm. we've spoken about yeah, and honestly. how you've processed and grieved and coped. Yeah, yeah, and and the film, the current draft. The ending, it, this is so lame, but I, I, I've never like, <laughs> I've never written anything and it's like brought me to tears or anything like that. I'm mm. always just like, you know, it's not real. Um, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, the way I, the ending of, of it that I, I wrote, I remember as I was writing it, it was, I felt sort of quite overcome with emotion. Mm. And uh, I guess the thing to be seen when I send it to more people is if, is it just an entirely sort of masturbatory uh therapy thing for me or is it you know will it will it resonate with other people Um, but at the very least it was I was very happy to write it I think if something is as authentic as it sounds Mm. and really is I think it tends to be something that people resonate with I hope so yeah and thinking of how because you were really young when you started yeah making stuff and putting it out there yeah well I I started sort of making YouTube videos when I was 14 and then I made my first short film when I was 16. And so, uh, yeah. What, were they, what was your work about then? When I was 14? Yeah. Oh, well, when I was 14, it was just like... And even before that, I did... Um, when I was like te- 11, 12, I did like Lego animations. Um, but when I, was, <laughs> when I was 14, they... Uh, no, not, not a great deal of substance. It was mostly... I was going to say, because that would be interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was, mostly, it was mostly just me sort of, sort of mucking around with my friends and, mm. and stuff like that. But they sort of... It gradually... Gradually, I felt I was sort of trying to be a bit more creative with my stuff until it, just organically, I felt like I should make a short film. And then I made a short film and I I enjoyed that so much that I just sort of kept doing it. Um, but but yeah, it's but I was always into... Because I, I, like I said, I did child acting and mm. I, I used to think I wanted to be an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... Because I just loved being on set and I loved sort of seeing how it all worked. And I think in time, I realised... The, I, I wanted to be an actor because as a child, that was the best way to be a part of that process. Mm-hmm. And so I realized it wasn't about the acting. It really was just sort of being a part of that process. So as I got older, I realized I'd like to actually be much more actively involved in the... Yeah, in the process. The creative side of things, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a funny old uh, journey. Um, there was something that... What was I... Your... No well, rest. actually, this isn't what I was going to say. Okay. But this also came up in... In my head. Yeah. Having that, as you said earlier, pressure to feel like you needed to look after 
your sister and your mum. Yeah. And that, as we say, it's slightly archaic, very archaic expectation that the mm. man has to become suddenly yeah, of course. the protector. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think that contributed to what you then ended up doing? Oh, interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I... Well, there's definitely... I think there's definitely sort of an idea of... Because I felt like I had to fill that role and sort of keep everyone happy and keep keep everything fine, there was... There's something to be said about the idea of, like, preserving that time and, like, and and by extension documenting it so I was always filming loads when we went on holiday on like a little camcorder um and so yeah I I think there's definitely that's interesting this idea of sort of yeah preserving a moment or like you know again like sort of holding on to because as someone who lost something and wasn't able to really hold on to it and have a grasp of it before it was gone there is an argument to be made that you know me be doing what I do is is partially a result of this desire to to uh, yeah, like I said, sort of capture moments or capture ideas or or and, and just uh, preserve something. I was going to say preserve life. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I'd mm. say so. Yeah, Gosh, that's fascinating. Mm. That is. I've never. That's the first time I've really sort of yeah. thought about that. Oh my god. Yeah. What a moment. (laughs) (laughs) And so two last things. Yeah. The first is, what was it that your dad did? Oh, yeah. He was uh, a journalist. He was a journalist. He's still a storyteller then. Yeah, pretty much. He, um, to my knowledge, he wrote mainly um, uh, like sort of travel stuff. So we were lucky enough. We went on a lot of holidays because he would would be gifted these holidays and then he'd review them uh, for the for the Telegraph. Um, so I think that was his main thing. I don't think he, he wasn't, he, I don't think he did anything especially hard hitting. Mm. Um, but I, I always remember, and I only read it for the first time a few months ago because it's online. And I was so touched. After he died, my mum uh, did one column uh, wow. in his place. And it was another holiday thing. We went on a holiday. But the story, the, the storyline very much of that article is our first holiday after losing, um, after losing Chris, that was his name. Um, and I just, I read it the other day and my mum who has never really identified as a writer, Mm. just so beautifully articulated that time. And she talks about how every night it was a cruise. So every night she and her two kids, uh, we'd go to the sort of lunch area or the dinner area and sit on like a, on a, on a, on a big table and every single night and a waiter would say, do you want to be moved to a smaller table? And she, yeah, she articulated this idea of, of, of no, cause mm. you know, it's sort of leaving a, yeah. leaving a seat for, it's accepting for him. this loss. It's like, yeah, I'm not ready to, to have it just be the three of us. Um, so yeah, it's a really beautiful, beautiful article. Wow. And, uh, yeah, Where? I was, I just hadn't read it until only a few months back. Where can someone find that? Um, if you, I mean, probably if you search, my mum's name is, um, Melinda. So if you search and Melinda Gilbert, um, Telegraph, it should probably come up. Yeah. Um, or I can, yeah, I don't know. I can, <laughs> I can put it on I the can, show notes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I can, I can, uh, produce the link, but, um, yeah. And, 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 but I remember that holiday and I remember, 
I was I was so uh, unaware that that was what she was sort of experiencing and that was what she was sort of going through. And she, the way she references some of the like games me and my sister were playing on this cruise ship. And I remember experiencing those, but now having the context of behind me what my mum was, was going through. Um, and what did she say? There was another yeah. thing she said about how... I can't remember exactly, but there's definitely something interesting she says about how me and my sister were pretending to be... Um, spies and she sort of said there was she said there was something she thought that was interesting about like she felt like we were sort of in make-believe more more than usual you know mm, and sort of something like us being unaware of our, our, even our even as kids trying to sort of escape That's this, this say, new yeah. reality yeah gosh and as your dad is a journalist mm-hmm. you must be able to read his work yeah, well, I admittedly haven't read much of it. I should read more of it. Um, is that, I really should. I really should. Yeah, I think I'll be- do that after this. Yeah, <laughs> I keep interrupting. Is that because you there's a level that there's a level of seeing that in the same way as it's someone telling you that you look like your dad or act like hmm. your dad that that's kind of like oh I I don't know if I can face that or is it just because you just haven't? <sighs> I don't know. Yeah, it's either that I just haven't or there's there's almost something quite scary about the fact that it, there is a there'd be a, there's a finite amount of stuff there. So the idea that I could read all of it and have no more to read, mm. you know, sort of putting it off is kind of allowing myself to to have more to explore about him. But I guess yeah, it's scary the idea that once I've read all his articles you know, there's nothing new to learn, I guess. Maybe that's that's sort of part of it. But I, I definitely, yeah, I should read more. I should read more. Because again, I'd only read the thing my mum mm. wrote a few months back. Um, I've read his obituary, but I haven't, yeah, I haven't read a lot of his his stuff. Does it freak you out a little, not freak you out, but I was just suddenly thinking if I knew that my dad had written articles and, yeah. you know, going to read them. Because mm-hmm. my mum found some letters and his diary oh. over quarantine. And... I'm at a place now where I think, like you, I, I, I'd be happy, I, I'm yeah. happy to read it. Yeah. And I love that. But there is definitely an element of this person who you have, um, who you've lost and you don't really know. And suddenly it's making that whole experience so real again because yeah. it, it makes them a human being again. And then mm-hmm. you're reminded that they were once alive. Yeah. And yeah. how much you don't know them. I don't know. It's no, a it's, bittersweet. It's very true. No, all of that's true. Um, but again, yeah, I'm trying to, you know, like I said, I'm trying to sort of push through that and, and not be upset about how little I know about them. But, but mm. you know, be more sort of, be happy that I can still learn about them. And now I'm old enough to, to really process yeah. it properly. And, and, yeah. So my final question. Mm-hmm. If your dad was listening to this episode right now, what would you want to say to him? Um, God, I don't know. That's the thing. I do, you know, mm. if I knew him better, I would, I would have a grasp of what would tickle him or what would, you know. Um, I don't know. I guess I'd just say, um, you know, I, I guess, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't even know if I have to apologize for this, but I'm sorry for so long. I'm sorry, I, I've sort of been quite neglectful of your memory for a very long time. 
and I, I guess I just want to reassure him that, that I'm in the process of uh, sort of trying to bring him a bit more back to life, at least in my experience of things. I guess that's what I'd say, something like that. Well, thank you so much, Bertie. It's been an absolute joy having you on. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was good. It was a... I, yeah, I, I, I like talking about it, you know, mm. I, and that's, that's definitely some, some growth because I didn't used to. Yeah, it's amazing that you found this language, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. So recently, but seemed to sort of really understand it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. No, thank you. Thank you for I'm having me. I'm doing lots of hand movements whilst I'm Yeah, here. yeah, for, for listeners at home. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to my episode with the absolutely incredible wise articulate funny lovely kind gentle talented amazing Bertie Gilbert it was so lovely to see him after so long of us having worked together and it's just so interesting how you can be in such close proximity with someone for such a quite intense long period of time and actually not know so much about that person and actually how similar your life experiences can be or even just what really has made somebody up into the person that they are now it of course happens all the time but it's just it kind of always slightly baffles me when I learn something new about somebody who I feel like I know on some level and actually you don't really know I know that of course every time we hang out with people we're not going to be talking about you know what is it that really drives you or tell me about your childhood trauma but there is something to be said in how we potentially conduct ourselves socially at such a surface level which I'm there's no shame in it but I think it's just interesting to to acknowledge on some on some level but then as Bertie said you know he's only recently come to the point of wanting to talk about it or being able to talk about it and finding that language. So anyway, I think that's also important, especially for me to remember, is there are some people who are ready to talk about things and there are some people who really aren't. And it's very much respecting and acknowledging that boundary, which sometimes I potentially step over the mark doing what I now do. I think I'm so used to talking about such sort of in inverted commas heavy subjects that I actually just totally <laughs> forget that some people that's not a thing and they'd rather not but thank you Bertie you are wonderful and that was an incredible episode so immensely insightful and so <clears throat> excuse me sorry it's early in the morning and my throat's a bit croaky but so immensely insightful and so many new perspectives that I haven't heard before haven't even done this podcast for as long as I have yeah I repeat myself but just such fascinating insights into how fatherlessness and grief and you know an absent father can manifest for somebody and potentially especially a son in this case so thank you Bertie and I hope you all enjoyed this beautiful episode and have a wonderful rest of your day or night. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on Daddy Issues Podcast. 
If you've been affected by anything at all in the episode, in the show notes, you will see a number of websites whereby you can seek support on various different platforms, including ex-podcast guest and psychotherapist Julia Samuel's website, Black Minds Matter, Calm and Grief Untangled. Warren Borg at Wargy Productions for helping me master and compress all my episodes so they sound that much better. Thank you so much for listening. Please do feel free to get in touch. I love hearing from you. Our email is on the show notes. And please do follow us on Instagram at the Daddy Issues Podcast. Have a lovely rest of your day or night.